You know, when God uh, created the universe um, quite a few thousand years ago, he established some laws that govern the operation of the universe. You ever watch uh, those radar loops uh, from the space radar, or not radar, but satellite loops, where you can see all these fronts and they're spinning, high, high fronts are spinning this way and lows are spinning, and you've got tropical depressions, and, and you watch this whole thing just sort of spin around, and, and it's just such a, it's such a beautiful thing, because it's all a part of this thing that we call the laws of the universe. And it's not just that, I mean, it extends all the way down into each and every one of our individual lives. Because not only do these laws govern the universe, but it governs the way that we live in this universe. I mean, we, I, I, don't you kind of wonder who the first person was to figure out that you can't jump off a 100-foot cliff? Do you ever think of, I mean, I'm, I'm demented enough to actually think about things like that. I mean, how did they figure it out? Because, you know, the law of gravity existed. But they didn't quite understand it. They knew that when he threw something in the air, it fell down. But I'm not sure that they understood it. But you know, there are laws, and these laws have always been. Every now and then, God will perform a miracle which might disrupt some of those laws uh, just for a little bit of time. But by and large, these laws are in effect, and they guide and they govern our life. They govern everything from, from atoms to our attitudes, from radar to relationships that we have with each other, from protons to people. It governs everything. But before we talk about the law that we're going to be looking at this morning, which is the law of sowing and reaping, I want to share with you some what we'll call lesser-known laws. In fact, uh, what I've kind of titled this section to be is, sorry, it's the law. And I've run into quite a few of these. I don't know if I'm going to do them all. Uh, but, for example, the law of mechanical repair says this, after your hands become very, very greasy, you know, from working on a car or something, that's when your nose itches. That's a law. I, I, you didn't know that, did you? And, of course, the law of gravity is not what you think it is. The law of gravity is this, that any tool or bolt or screw or nut that you drop while you are doing work is going to roll to the most inaccessible place. That's the law of gravity. The law of probability says this, if, if it's probable that somebody is watching you, they will be watching you when you do the dumbest thing. Yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> how many of you are like me when you fall down and you stand up and the first thing you do is look around and make sure that you know who's actually watching. And certainly, you know, they don't see you when you do the good thing. They see you when you fall, when you hit your head on something, that's when they're watching. The law of random numbers says this, and I've had this work for me. If you ever dial the wrong number on the phone, why is it that somebody always answers? It's never busy. It never goes to voicemail. Somebody always answers. Well, that's the law of random numbers. The doctor's law, I think all of you have seen this in effect. If you're sick and you call the doctor, you get well before you go to the doctor. If you don't call the doctor, you stay sick. So I guess what do we learn from that? We'll just call the doctor, I guess, and then we get better. I, now, this, this law of variation, I've seen this at work, too, because it works for me. Whatever line you are in in the grocery store, or whatever lane that you are in on the highway, as soon as you decide to change that line or that lane, it suddenly begins to move faster. Sometimes I even 
when I'm in a short lane and somebody gets behind me, I'll even say to them, this is probably not a good lane for you. Because as soon as I get in it, this thing is going to come to a halt. Just believe you me, it's going to happen. Well, that's the, that's the variation law. Law of the bath. Now, I don't take baths, as you can smell, I mean see. Uh, but uh, when you immerse your body in water for relaxation of any kind, that's when the phone rings. That's the law of the bath. The law of close encounters says that the probability of meeting somebody that you know increases dramatically when you're with somebody that you don't want to be seen with. Now, I don't know if you've had that experience, but it could be true. Of course, the law of result. Who hasn't had this happen? When you try to prove to somebody that a machine doesn't work, it always does. Yeah, that, I, I tried to get my lawnmower fixed one time. And it ran like a, it just purred like a kitten. Got it home. Law of biomechanics says this, the severity of the itch is inversely proportional to your reach. Think about it. Any itch that you can reach isn't very bad. It's the one you can't reach that drives you bananas. That's why I have back scratches everywhere, so I can get them all. The law of the theater says that at any event, people whose seats are furthest from the aisle always get their last, and they have a weak bladder because they always have to go to the bathroom. Speaking of weak bladders, the coffee law. It says this, as soon as you decide to sit down for a nice hot cup of coffee and just enjoy it, something will happen to take you away from it so that when you come back, it's cold. It's just the way it's the coffee law. And of course, that's why iced coffee was invented in the first place. You gotta do something with that cold coffee. Murphy's Law of the Locker Room. I don't know how many of you hang out in locker rooms, but uh, if you go to a health club or fitness club or if you're in gym class, this law says this, if there are only two people in that entire locker room, their lockers are next to each other. And, I, and it is, it's, it's absolutely true, watch it next time. Law of physical surfaces says this, that the chances of an open-faced jelly sandwich landing face down is directly correlated to how much your carpet costs. You know, if it's junk, Always lands bread down. If it's brand new, jelly down. The law of logical argument says that anything is possible if you don't know what you're talking about. That one you might want to write down because I like that one. I, I actually, I live my life by that law. Brown's law of physical appearance. If the clothes fit, they're probably ugly. Not, not for guys. Guys don't care. It's only girls. When something fits them, they like. They don't like it. It fits them, but they don't like it. Oliver's Law of Public Speaking, a closed mouth gathers no feet. I wish I'd learned that, but I just don't know. Wilson's Law of Commercial Marketing Strategy, as soon as you find a product that you really like, they stop making it. All right. Well, that's enough of those laws, okay, because those aren't really laws. They're just weird coincidences, strange things that happen. Let me give you the definition of a law. A law is a rule or a principle which brings about a certain result when obeyed. That's what the definition of a law is. Laws are fixed, they are absolute, they are predictable. And it's these laws that give our world order and design and balance. Not only does does nature operate according to these laws that God has put in place? But obviously, so does our spiritual life. 
I think sometimes we look at our spiritual life as something totally different. We think that it operates according to a different set of principles. But our spiritual life also operates according to laws that God has put into place. Of course, it started out in the Ten Commandments when God from Mount Sinai gave the children of Israel his law, the law of God. We see even in our country today, we're supposed to live in a nation of laws, and these laws are designed to secure our safety, our protection, and our prosperity. Now, some would say that those laws are beginning to diminish in our nation today. And as a result, there's unrest, there's chaos, perhaps. But that's how desperately even, even a nation needs to have laws. But ultimately, whether we're talking about the Ten Commandments or the laws of the land, ultimately, we're talking about Scripture being God's law. The laws of God. In fact, a couple of times in Scripture, one being in Psalm 1-2, the other time in James 1-25, Scripture is referred to as the book of the law. These things are law, is basically what it says. One of the most important of the spiritual laws, I believe, is the one that we're going to discuss today. And that's the law of sowing and reaping. It is a law that if we forget about it, if we sort of just pretend it doesn't exist, it's going to harm our life or deprive our life in a very real way. Well, let me give you just a little synopsis of this law according to what St. Paul wrote in the book of 2 Corinthians 9.6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So in a nutshell, there we have the law of sowing and reaping, and it works. You ask any farmer, you ask any investor, you ask any believer, you ask any parent, that if that's what you do, if you sow sparingly, yes, you are going to reap sparingly, but if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. It's a law. It works that way. He goes into a little bit more detail of this law in the book of Galatians 6. And I believe that's what I put in your notes, and you can follow on the screen as we read our text for this morning. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. Paul writes this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from that Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There is a ton of life material in this passage. But I've reduced it down to about five very simple principles that we have to understand and practice in our lives when it comes to the law of sowing and reaping. The first principle is very simple. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. And of course, that sounds simple enough, but let's, let's try to consider some of the implications of this truth. I think all of us know that the basic law of physics says this. It says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That's the law of physics. And of course, what that means to us and to this law of sowing and reaping is that we get out of life what we put into it. We get out of life what we put into it. Now, I know that sounds rather, you know, kind of worldly or humanistic. 
And it does work that way when it comes to human and flesh elements, but it's also a spiritual principle. But we get out of things what we put into them. Now, that does not mean that all of our human experience is the direct result of our own personal action. I mean, think about this. Original sin did not come from you, did it? It is a reaction from Adam and Eve. So the law of sowing and reaping, in that particular case, we are reaping the reward of someone else's sowing. And of course, we see that all throughout life. We see it in the air we breathe. We see it in, in so many different things in the world around us that there are things that we did not do. We didn't sow that seed, but yet we are somehow reaping the reward of that, whether it's negative or whether it's positive. So it doesn't mean that it's necessarily just the seeds that we sow. What it means is that our experience in life is the result of an action, whether it be ours or somebody else. And in a nutshell, that is the law of sowing and reaping. It's sort of like the law of gravity. We didn't come up with it, but we have to abide by it. Now, life is a series of investments and rewards. And the things that we reap are directly related to the things that we sow. This is where it becomes our action. The things that are the result of other people's action and the actions of the laws of the universe, those are things we just have to deal with. But then there are those things that we reap because of things that we actually do. Let's use uh, as an example money. Because there's a number of different ways that we can sow money. You can sow it as a gift to somebody else, and as a reward, you receive blessing. So you sow the gift, you receive a blessing. You can invest that money and accumulate savings. So you sow the money into investments, into a savings account, into something, and, of course, the hope is that you will accumulate or you'll be rewarded with some sort of savings. You can also borrow money. You can, you can sow yourself into debt, and that's exactly what you incur. But when you look at it, whether it's blessing from giving, or whether it's savings from saving, or whether it's debt from borrowing, those are all receiving, that's reaping, but none of those things are accidents. They are the result of a conscious and preliminary sowing that you have done in your life. And you can apply that to almost anything that you look at in your life. It's all the result of some preliminary activity of sowing. And that's the first principle. It's very simple. It's very simple. We reap what we sow. All right? The second principle kind of brings this whole thought through the funnel. Because we're going to get it down to a, a funnel point. And that is we reap the same kind that we sow. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said, by the fruit you will recognize them. Do not pick grapes uh, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, what this principle basically says to us and what Jesus was saying to us in Matthew 7 is that when you plant a corn seed, you can rest assured that you're not going to harvest a cucumber. You're going to get the same kind. You plant a corn seed, you're going to get 
Of course, you're going to get the stock of corn, and then you're going to get ears of corn. Two, three, four, I don't know how many a stock produces. But you are going to get the same kind that you sow. Now, this also applies to the two areas of life that Paul brings out in our text back in, Je in Galatians chapter 6. He talks about the flesh, and he talks about the spirit, about sowing to both of them. So let's talk about the flesh harvest, point A. I'm sure that all of you have heard of the type of person that sows his or her wild oats six days of the week, and then on the seventh day comes to church and prays for crop failure, haven't you? Mm. Because, you know, it's like we're not even paying attention. We're just out there, and we're investing, and we're sowing into things, not realizing that everything that we sow into, remember, you're going to reap what you sow, and the same in kind. According to Job, chapter 4, verse 8, he says this, As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble, reap it. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're plowing evil and sowing trouble, that's what you're going to get. So bring this thing down to life. If you are sowing seeds of anger and criticism, don't be surprised when your relationships are not healthy. Because it's going to affect your relationships. If you sow seeds of greed and self-indulgence, don't be surprised when you're not blessed financially. Because you see, every minute of every day, we're sowing into our flesh. And just as we reap what we sow, we reap the same kind that we sow. But secondly, we need to talk about the spirit. That's the flesh. When you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. And ultimately, if you sow to the flesh and you're not born again, you're going to reap destruction. But then there, of course, is the spirit harvest. When we sow into our lives things pertaining to our spiritual nature, we can expect to reap a spiritual harvest. I want to show you exactly how this works, looking at something that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Now follow along with us, because this first part we know, we've, we've perhaps even memorized this. It says, whatever is true, Philippians 4.8, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Normally we stop there, but read on in verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Now look at what the clincher is, and the peace of God will be with you. All of that is sowing up until that last verse, the last part of that last verse, and the peace of God will be with you. That's the harvest. That's the reaping when we sow spiritually, when we fill our minds and we fill our hearts with the Word of God, with Christian fellowship, with obedience to God's Word. We are going to reap a harvest of some of the deepest peace that is imaginable, and that is God's peace. You see, whether we realize it or not, whether you're thinking about it or not, you are constantly sowing. You're sowing into your flesh, you're sowing into your spirit, and not only do we reap what we sow, but we will reap the same kind that we sow. Sow a corn seed, you're going to get corn stock. It's the same kind. The third principle of the sowing and reaping is that we reap in proportion to what we sow. We reap in proportion to what we sow. Now, if you've ever planted any kind of seed, 
whether that would be a, a, a vegetable or a fruit tree or something, but you've planted some sort of a, a seed, one thing that you probably come to terms with is that the size of that seed can produce a considerable harvest. It's an interesting proportional issue. For example, if you sowed, and I think I've got a picture on this next one here, those are watermelon seeds, okay? If you sowed three watermelon seeds, not all of those, just three, we are told that we could reap up to 20 watermelons. Three little tiny seeds, 20 watermelons. Now sometimes that proportion's a little bit different. In some cases, it's one seed, one product. Some cases, it's one seed, three product. In some cases, it's one seed and ten product. And, and in some, it's one seed and thousands, like a cherry tree or an apple tree, producing hundreds of product every single year. It's the whole idea of proportion. And it's different. It's different. I want to show you how this is true in our lives. First of all, it's true in our relationships. It's true in our relationships. You've all heard that old adage that says, to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. Oh, I heard that so much. You know, I'd, if I'd ever complain when I was young, oh, Mom, I don't have any friends, he'd say, well, Jeff, if you want to have friends, you've got to be friendly. Really? I don't want to be friendly. It's no fun. But it's true. It's a law, and it works. Of course, Jesus, quoting from the Old Testament, said, do to others as you would have them do to you. And it works. If you're kind to others and you plant certain seeds, you're going to receive a reward, a harvest. Now, there is no doubt, and I think all of you have seen this work, that a little bit of kindness and a little bit of empathy and a little bit of patience can go a long, long way when it comes to building strong relationships, whether it be family or friends or church, sowing some positive seeds. But you know, sometimes we look at our lives and we realize that we're surrounded by people that are negative or people that gossip or people uh, that uh, are cheaters. And we wonder to ourselves, where have these people come from? How come all my friends are so negative? How come all my friends, all they want to do is gossip? Well, look, I, I hate to tell you this, folks, but you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. It's no accident when these people gravitate toward us because we are sowing those kinds of seeds. And that's why we are reaping the kinds of friends that we reap. That's why we're surrounded by the kinds of people that we're surrounded with. It's no accident. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And if you want to change the numbers, if you want more positive friends around you, if you want friends that are, gonna, that, that are going to respond in a great way to you and they're, they're going to love and, and, and they're not going to gossip and all, you need to sow those kinds of seeds. Don't be a gossip. Don't be negative. Sow different kinds of seeds. I know you don't like to hear that, but it is true. I've noticed in my years in ministry that there are certain individuals that gossipers will gravitate toward. And I've always wondered why that is. Well, it's because some of us sow those kinds of seeds and others don't. 
There are some people that gossipers are not comfortable with because they're not sowing those seeds. Think about it. It works in relationship, and it's proportional. It also is true, let it be, in giving. From cover to cover, the Bible emphasizes the promise that if we sow generously, that we will reap generously. The most famous of those passages is found in Malachi chapter 3. I want to read for you verses 7 through verse 10. It says, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. That's, again, just that phrase there is sowing and reaping. Return to me, I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, all of us love that promise. But that promise is really talking about a different type of economics than we're used to. We're used to an economic that says you need to save, you need to invest, you need to work, you need to accumulate. That's our economic plan when it comes to being secure and having a secure retirement. But the scriptures give us a whole different concept of economics. It's investing in the kingdom. It's laying up treasure in heaven, as Jesus said. And look at something else Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 6. He says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, what we're promised here is that in the area of our relationships, and in the area of giving, that we will reap in proportion to what we sow. It'll be proportional. Sometimes one to one, sometimes one to two, sometimes one to six, sometimes one to a thousand. I, I don't know how those proportions are figured out, but God has the standard made. Number four, we reap in a different season than we sow. I think we've all discovered this. You go out and plant those seeds, and it takes time. It, it just takes time. When I was little, I used to think it was just going to happen right away. One thing I noticed in a hurry when I was young, though, was that you can get a couple of harvests of radishes every year because they come a little bit quicker. But be that as it may, our text reminds us in verse 9 of Galatians 6, it says, at the proper time, you will reap at the proper time. In the King James, it says, in due season. So this concept contains some different elements to it. This principle of of reaping in a different season has some elements here. The first is what is called the promise. There's the promise in this principle that you will reap in a different season. And the promise is this. When the farmer goes out into his fields in the spring and he plants a seed, he is staking his life on the promise that what he plants is going to produce a harvest in the fall. When a parent raises his or her child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, they are staking their life on the promise that when they instruct their child that their child is going to grow up and turn to the Lord. When a young worker 
sets aside a couple hundred dollars a month and puts it into a, a, a retirement fund or an IRA. They are counting on the promise that when they retire, they're going to have some capital. That's the promise of sowing and reaping. That's the promise of the law. And it doesn't happen right away when it comes to investments or raising your children or whatever it might be. It doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. There's a germination process. There's this process of growth. And so there is a time difference. I think all of us have noticed. So that's the promise. If you will sow, you will reap in due season. But there is also a caution as well as a promise to this particular principle. And the, the, the caution is this. There are lots of people that live a very reckless life. They're very careless with the way that they live. And it appears as though they're not really paying much of a price for it. Everything's going good for them. In fact, there's even a psalm that talks about that. But let me tell you this. They will live to see a day where they regret it as that lifestyle catches up to them later on in life. And this is a caution when it comes to the law of sowing and reaping, that every reckless and careless seed that we sow will reap a harvest. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next month, maybe not next year. But eventually it will. So there's a promise there that we will receive a harvest in due season, but that's also a caution that we will reap a harvest in due season. And it's also an expectation. It's an expectation. Because it's not happening now. We're making the investments now. We're planting the seeds now. And why are we doing it? We're doing it in expectation. Living God's proper season, it's going to bear a harvest. Not in our time. Not when we think it ought to happen. But in God's time, in his gifts. The final principle of the law of sowing and reaping is that we reap if we persevere. We reap if we persevere. You see, when it comes to this particular law, the law of sowing and reaping, this is, this is really where the rubber hits the road. Back in Galatians 6, 9, it says, if we do not give up, that's the kicker. You will reap what you sow if you don't give up. Now, perseverance has always been an issue for us as human beings. We're, we're, we're not the most persistent of creatures. There are principles of perseverance that are talked about in Scripture over and over again. In fact, I threw a couple of them out for you this morning as they're up on the screen. The first is Matthew 24, 13. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Hebrews 12, 1, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Quitting is an issue that all of us deal with. Giving up. Running out of steam. Becoming distracted. Becoming interested in something else. Let's just assume or imagine for a moment that you followed the first four principles that we've talked about this morning about the harvest. You followed them. You believed in them. 
that you reap what you sow, that you reap the same in kind that you sow, that you reap in proportion to what you sow. You reap in a different season than you sow. You believed all of that, and you sowed with those things in mind, but you gave up. You became interested in something else. How many times has this happened in our lives? You know what? We miss out on that harvest. We miss out. I mean, think about a farmer goes out into the spring and he plows his fields and he plants the seed. He applies all the chemicals, unless he's an organic farmer. God bless him. But does all of the work that he's supposed to do. But then a couple, three, four weeks later, goes out in the fields and says, nothing's happening. Now, I know this is ridiculous, but imagine. Goes out and comes in weakness. Finally, the Lord considered how to sanctify Job by this trial. Of course, you know that old saying, all that, uh, what is that? How's it go? All's well that ends well. That's it, right? And of course, we know that the story of Job, it seems to end well. We see that God gave him twice as much as he had before. Job's name is, is legendary. He's a famous guy. He was attacked by Satan, ruthlessly stood his ground. That's a great story. I mean, if you think about it, Satan did everything he could to make Job a laughingstock, to make his name terrible, like Judas. Judas. I mean, you think of Judas, you think of somebody who was attacked by the enemy, and the enemy won. But Job, no, no. Job was the one who withstood, who withstood. You know, all the time that these trials were going on in Job's life, what was Satan really doing? He was stacking the pedestal higher and higher upon which God would display his enormous grace, his enormous love and his faithfulness. So really, folks, when Satan attacks you, as the title of this message suggests, we can rejoice because God's purposes are always going to override Satan's plan. I know that it might sound a little bit cliche to us because we've said this verse over and over again in Romans 8.28, but it bears to be repeated in this context. And that is that God always, 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 in all things, works them together for good to those that love him and have been called according to his purpose. So, what have we hopefully learned today? We've learned how Satan considers us. We've learned what he considers about us for the purpose of trying to destroy the kingdom of God and promote his own kingdom. But we need to rest assured in this final thing we've learned, and that is that God's consideration, his plan, is always going to override Satan's consideration. Even when Apparently, like in the case of Judas, that purpose seems to fail. No, it's not failed. Still, somehow, in God's enormous plan, it works out for good in the end. The Apostle Paul said it, or John, I should say, said it so well that I want to just repeat it as I close this message in 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Now, that either means something to you or it's just a catchy little verse. 
let me level with you. We, we've all been through trials. We've all experienced attack from Satan. I have multiple times, and so have you. And if we're honest with each other and honest with God, we will realize that it was through those attacks in our response to them that we experienced the greatest pleasure, the greatest joy that there is. Now, some of you might just say, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. Every one of my experiences with trials and tribulations and attacks has just been miserable. I couldn't wait for it to end. Well, no kidding. I mean, really. But even so, if you will, if you will dare to take things just a little bit deeper when you're under trial and under attack, 